Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. For the fact that we get to call you Father, God, that you sent your Son to die for us so that we may enter into relationship with you. God, what humanity threw away, God, you... You risked everything to restore relationship. God, we thank you for that. And we worship you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, it is good to be in church this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. I'm going to get my stuff. Man, it is good to be in church on Wednesday. This is, this is a great time for us to come, get filled up for the remaining rest of the week, 30%. Should I plug it in? I should plug it in. <laughs> or else it's going to be very entertaining. Hang on one second. There we go. All right. So as always, I say this every time I begin to preach. I'm very excited to preach to, to you this, uh, I always want to say this morning. It's not this morning. It's evening. And so um, once you open up your Bibles, Bibles to Mark chapter 2, we're going to hang out there for a minute. But before we do, um, I just, I count it a great privilege and honor to be able to get to speak to you um, and it is not something that we, that I take lightly. And so, um, well, I want to start off by asking a question and that is this, how many in you, how many in here, and you don't have, this is a rhetorical question. How many in here have a best friend? Like when you think, when I say that word, when I say that best friend, immediately that person's face comes to mind. And I'm not just talking about someone that you, you know, is a, you know, follows you on Facebook. How I define a best friend is they would hide the body with you. That friend, right? And that, that's the person that I'm talking about. And, you know, he, here's, here's what's a, I read, I read a statistic just the other day that I, at first when I, when I heard it, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, but kind of not. I'm kind of sad, but it makes sense. Sin, there many, many studies have been done, and it's been proven that I don't think that these things are correlated or causal. One didn't cause the other. But I think it's an interesting statistic that since the 1950s, the, the, the square footage in the average American household has doubled since the 1950s. In the same time frame, the amount of close personal friends an individual has has been cut in half. So if you took someone from the 1950s and asked, how big is your house? They're going to be like, eh, probably like 1,000 square feet, 1,200 square feet, something like that. How many per, like, ride or die close personal friends do you have? And they would say, you know, five, maybe six. If, if it was, especially if it was a couple, they would have other close couples that they, would, that they would associate with. If you asked someone today, they would probably say their house is like 1,700 to 2,000 square feet and they maybe have one or two. And, and, and that's if that definition is, is kind of lowered a little bit. 
So why am I, why am I saying this? This, as a believer in Christ, th this should frighten us. This reality should frighten us. And so the question is, is why? Well, as a Christian, we have a mandate to be in community. To be, it's not just me and Jesus. It's me, a whole bunch of people, and Jesus. That is what we, uh, as the church, are mandated to do. And so, the, the, very, the very foundation of the kingdom of God is built on community and relationship. And so here's the thing, like with me, we have to understand, I've said this many times before, is God speaks to me very, in very, uh, not normal ways, I would get, I mean, it's normal for me because it's only me and God in our relationship. And so I'll see something, I'll read something, or I'll, you know, uh, you know and God will just kind of lean in and go, hey, pay attention to that. Or, you know, it'll move me in, in a way that's like, there's no reason why this Tide commercial should make me cry, but it is. And, and so one of the main ways that, that God moves me is, is through movies. And one of my favorite trilogies of all time is Lord of the Rings. Okay? And so Lord of the Rings is my, one of my most favorite trilogies of all time. So that's why I entitled... My message tonight is, um, who's by your, uh, no, no, that's one of the titles. Who are the, who's with you? That's what it is. I've named it three times. I really wanted to name it. I really wanted to call it, everybody needs Sam, but I think that not a lot of people would get it. Well, that's Sam and Frodo from the Lord of the Rings. And so God, I was watching these, uh, these movies the other day and much to my wife's chagrin, because I don't just watch the regular movie. I watch the director's cut, extended, deleted scene edition, which takes that movie from a three-hour movie or like a two-hour and 45-minute movie to four hours and 35-minute movie. I watched all three. She was not happy. Anyway, there's a scene in the third movie that guts me, and I think anybody who has watched these movies knows probably where I'm going with this. And, and this scene depicts what... We're going to be talking about tonight, so I want you to watch this clip real quick. Nothing. 
No veil. Between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! That, yeah, I know. Now you're all going to be like, I'm going to go watch that movie later. Uh, that's what happened to me. I watched a clip on Facebook, and I'm like, ah, I'm going to watch those. I think, here's the thing. It's like, God, like, when I was watching this, you can ask my wife, I was just, I was weeping like a child. Because that, I think, that depicts the relationship that God wants us to have with one another. It, there's a, he says, he goes, look, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking, like, is this dude about ready to preach out of Lord of the Rings? I'm not. I promise. Let's get biblical. So there's a story in the Bible that I think depicts this scene very, very, just perfectly. And that's in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And side note, I did write this. I want to say it. Frodo didn't deserve Sam, just saying. He didn't. Anyway, Mark chapter 2, verse, 10, uh, verse 1 through 10, it says, When Jesus returned from Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was gathering was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. When he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man down on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Because the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, thought to themselves, who is he? Who is he? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately, immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that I am the son of man who has the authority on earth to forgive sin. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, praised God, ex praising God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. So here we have a story in the Bible of, of some friends that took it upon themselves to make someone else's situation their problem. And I know what you're, I know at first thought, it's like, well, that, that you know, what about boundaries and, and you know, I can't, I can't do this for them. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is relationship that goes beyond the superficial, 
relationship that goes beyond the casual, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. When inside, you are broken. I mean, I've been in church long enough. I've done it many times myself where someone's like, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And on the inside, I'm just like, no, I'm not doing good at all. I, I just, I, life is not working out the way that I thought. This situation is going on. All of this stuff. But because I chose not to enter into community at the level that God is wanting us to, I, got, I missed out on the opportunity to God, for God to minister in that moment. And so let me ask you this question. What do you think some of the barriers to community are? Because here's the thing. Anything worthwhile or life-changing, or, or it could be said like this, Anything that makes you more powerful, hell has a vested interest to deter and to undermine. And so we can see throughout scripture that God is, com- is fully invested in his children to be more than just individuals. He didn't have a whole bunch of only children. He had a whole bunch of kids. And he is a father. I, over and over we say, even Jesus in our story, he looks <laughs> at the paralyzed man and he responds to him and says, my child. Because he's, he's saying, look it, I'm rewriting the rules here. I'm rewriting the rules because this was said in a time where Jews had this elitist mentality. They were the chosen, and so there were the untouchables. They probably, not probably, they viewed this man because he was paralyzed as something, either his parents or he sinned, so God punished him for it. And so he was an unwanted person. And so people chose not to engage with him publicly because of that reason, except for these four guys. So what today is a barrier for us in, in, in creating community? I would say there's, there's several things. First, I would say there's past hurts. And what I mean by this is maybe you have been in a relationship, maybe you, you've had a friend, maybe you were involved either in a church or a community, and, and, and you were vulnerable, and you did open up, and, and because of whatever circumstance, you got hurt. Whether that was intentional, whether that was uh, a misunderstanding, whether it was just miscommunication, it doesn't matter. You were hurt. And so you said to yourself one day, I'm not going to be hurt like this again. So you know what? I, I, you know what? I'm going I'm to put up this wall. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know what? I'm going to keep you right about here. That's, this is my bubble. No one's allowed in my bubble. But your bubble is preventing you from having a deeper connection and an encounter with God. Maybe another barrier is shame. Well, if they knew who I was before I got saved, they wouldn't want to associate with me. If they knew the things that I've done, if they knew the people that... I've hurt, or the people that have hurt me, or the, 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 the crowd I was with, they wouldn't want to associate with me. And so I can't, I can't be vulnerable because, you know what, my, my past is just too icky. 
There's just too much back there. There's too much to unpack. And you know what? I just, I don't trust people. Or maybe it's the unknown. Maybe you've never seen what healthy community looks like. You've been, once again, you've been hurt. You've, you, don't, you don't know what the, how to even engage in that. Or maybe it's judgment, both of yourself, yourself, or, well, who would want to, no one really wants to be my friend. I'm not, uh, I, who wants to be my friend? I, no one wants to be my friend. Or maybe, you know, how could that person, so it's either judgment of self or judgment of others. How can that person know, how, how could they relate to me? They don't know what I've been through. Both of those are based purely on assumption. How do you know what they've been through unless you engage in intimacy and connection and have community so that you know, so that you can build one another up? See, these are the barriers that hold us back from engaging in community. I would say probably the biggest one is isolation the, the, the isolation culture that we live in. You don't need anybody. You just need yourself. And it's then doubled down on by things like social media. Now, I am a millennial. I love social media. Without social media, people wouldn't be on Facebook right now watching everything that this church does. So I think social media is good, it's a, it's a tool, but what it's done is it's caught, I think it's ironic that it's called social media. Because what it does is it's created this faux interaction between you and I. Because you liked something or you commented on something, you now have given me value. And when, our, when there is an entire generation that is gaining 100% of their value based on how many likes and comments they get, there's, it's heartbreaking. There are middle school students who, if they don't get the, what they perceive to be the right amount of likes within a certain amount of time, they'll take the photo off and then repost it or repost something else. And see, I, I would love to sit here and say this is a, just a young people problem. I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a me people problem too. It's a, every, it's a people problem. Don't lie. When you put on a video or you put on a picture of your grandkid or you put a picture of your puppy and only two people like it, you're like, man, doesn't anybody else like my puppy? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's, it's real. It's multi-generational. I don't care who, what, anything you say, it is, it's a reality. But what it's caused is it's caused this, sen- this fake sense of connection that we don't actually have with one another. And so when we get all of our value and we trick ourselves to think, oh yeah, I have, you know, 850 friends who follow me. They don't follow you. They follow, they follow what you want to present to them. Because we live in a snapshot culture. I don't, see, I, I post, I love cooking, and so I post, you know, when it takes me through two, three, four hours to, to cook something, and I post that, that's once maybe every three months. I don't post the pizza rolls that I cook on more and more, more often times than not. 
I don't post myself going to Walmart as much as I do, but I post myself going to the beach. So if someone were to scroll through my Instagram, they would think, man, he's going to the beach and cooking gourmet food all the time. Nope. Haven't been to the beach in a year. But the last photo that I took was of, I don't post very often, so it was, was of me on the beach or something. I don't know what it is. Someone, my wife will tell me. But it's, we live in this snapshot culture, so it's, it's not even, they're not even following you. You're fo- they're following what you're presenting to the world. So how can someone get to know you when all they see are the highlight moments? Jesus didn't come, die, establish his kingdom so that we can only engage with one another on our terms. He came and died and he said, look, this is what, this is how you need to engage with one another. I don't believe for a minute that there's anything in the word of God that's accidental. They're like, oh, that's a good story. Throw that in. Because there's more, there was more left out as far as miracles and encounters and, and all of this stuff. There was more left out than was put in. Because if we put all of it in, we would all still be reading it. And so what I like to do, I, those glasses, they're so smudged and the glare is so bad. And as I said last time I preached, this guy's good, this guy's just here for show. Our, what we are called and mandated to do is to be intimate, to be vulnerable, and to build community. And here's, and here's the thing, guys. That is what the world is starving for. That is what the world is starving for. They are looking for a place to be loved. They are looking for a place to be accepted. And that word has been appropriated that, that says, if I, for you to accept me, I have to say everything that you do about life is right. That is not what accepted means. What it means is it says, you know what? You got some mistakes, so do I. But you know what? We're going to work on them together. And so when we look at the word of God, when we look at this story, what I like to do is I like to put myself in it. And what I mean by that is there's so much going on around here, on the outside of this story, that, that really, I think, just like our, our, the video that we watched, it, it, why do we like movies, why do we like videos, is because it puts to life what we've read. It puts to life what is going on. And so I do that when I read scripture all the time, and so... See, he, these, these four men didn't just happen upon Jesus one day. They, didn't, they weren't just walking around, kicking rocks, and going, oh, hey, there's a crowd. What's that about? Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, who's this guy? I believe, and, it's my, and, and, and you can't prove it biblically, so this is what I'm going to believe, is he, th- these men knew who Jesus was. They, the, 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 the text starts off with when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later. It is my personal opinion that these, these four dudes have probably heard Jesus preach before. These guys knew what Jesus was about. 
And they knew that wherever Jesus went, miracles followed. And so what they said is they're like, hey, you know what? We need to go get Johnny over there. Johnny's been on that mat for a long time. Wouldn't it be cool to see Johnny walk? I don't know if his name was Johnny. It was just crippled dude on a mat. I don't want to call him that. So I'm going to call him Johnny. It's like, hey, Johnny's over there. He needs an encounter with Jesus. We, we can walk. So let's go get him and take him to Jesus. See, this, this took planning. First off, they had to go get him. Then when they came back, there were so many people that they couldn't even get to Jesus. So they had to do some things. First off, they had to talk. They had to communicate with one another. Like, all right, guys, what are we going to do? How are we going to get Johnny to Jesus? Johnny needs a miracle. Nothing else can help Johnny. Only Jesus can help Johnny. So the first thing is that they had to, what they had to do is they had to communicate. The second thing is that they had to make a plan. They had to make a plan. They had to go get some rope. They had to get a ladder. Maybe some sort of cutting utensil. Whether that be a shovel or a knife or something like that. Roofs then were probably made out of dirt, clay, sticks, mud. So we've got to get something. Once we get up there, if there's not like a skylight, we can just drop them through. We've got to cut a hole. Hopefully the dude has like, you know, Capernaum nationwide or something. They can fix the hole. And then we've got to get him down to Jesus and hope Jesus will do something about it. So they had to make a plan. And they had to roll with resistance. Because their first plan didn't work, just going to Jesus. But see, they weren't deterred when their, when their plan met an obstacle. See, you and I, me specifically, I back down when I believe the lie that, that says that they're going to reject me if I invite them to church. See, I back down when they're going to tell, if someone tells me, if, I, I don't even, I back down on the fear or the thought that they may or may not say no. These guys didn't even let no be an option. They didn't let the obstacle of people, the homeowner, be an option. They said, look it, our friend needs a miracle, and we're taking him. The only answer for him is Jesus. Then they weren't, they weren't afraid to get their hands dirty. They knew that Jesus was the only answer. They got on top of the roof, and I can just see him there. Because I, you know, I, I think we tried to take the humanity out of the Bible in a, in a bad way, meaning th these are still people. These four dudes and Johnny's just kind of laying there on the mat. It's like, what are we, what's the plan here, guys? You drug me out of bed. I mean, I had no choice. You kind of picked me up and moved me. Um, what, what are we doing here? And I, I just wonder what, you know, this dude's face was when the guy was like, hey, we're going to cut a hole. He's like, you're going to do what? Yeah, we're going to cut a hole. We're going to tie this rope around you and lower you down. Is that all right? No, it's not all right. I'm not a pinata. But they, didn't, they weren't afraid to get their hands dirty. You see, sometimes hell likes to lie to us and say, if you get involved in someone's life, their problem is going to be your problem. 
I'm not saying that we don't have boundaries. I'm not saying that we don't let, uh, I'm not saying that we just let people abuse us and we let people, you know, manipulate and take from us. But if your boundary is preventing you from being an agent of encounter because you're sacrificing at sacrificing it at the altar of boundaries, you probably need to reassess your boundaries. And I know that's a hard thing because of everything that I just said before of past hurts, shame, judgment, all those things. But we cannot let something, we, we cannot let inca- potential encounters with Jesus, with people who are lost and dying, if they died right now, they would go to hell because we're afraid that they, you know what, they may use us. I was listening to um, Matthew Barnett. Me and my dad, uh, several of us, went to a uh, conference in, in California. And, and Matthew Barnett, if you don't know who he is, he uh, is the founder of the Dream Center. And the Dream Center is this big organization that helps, you know, the lost, the broken, the homeless, you know, all this stuff. And, and he tells this big, long story. And you know, to sum it up, he, he basically says, he goes, uh, th- there was this guy who he felt was manipulating and using his ministry. And he was mad about it, and he was kind of, in his own words, he was kind of pouting. And God kind of tapped him on the shoulder and was like, hey, you remember that time that you prayed to me and, and asked me to make you a bridge to the lost and the broken? What happens to bridges? They get walked on. I think a lot of times what we do is we'll, st- we'll stand at an altar and we'll, or we'll pray and we're like, God, use me. But then when you get used, you're like, man, God, I'm being used. I know, and, and the only reason why I can, uh, the only reason, I've said that. I've been that person. I've complained at the fact that, you know what, people are coming to me all the time. Well, God's saying, dude, that's what you wanted. I'm, I'm answering your prayer. Maybe next time you evaluate your prayers before you pray them. <laughs> the fourth thing is we have to keep right, the right perspective. These people are broken. They're hurt. Johnny couldn't walk. When, when people are hurt, what do they do? They hurt other people. Because that's the, the, the paradigm in which they know life and they recognize life. And, and so we can't be shocked when we get told. I, I'm thinking of a story literally yesterday. So a lot of you may know that um, I'm a probation officer. And so there was a particular guy that, that was not a, is not a favorite because he calls and just harasses everybody and and so I volunteered. I was like, I'll talk with him. And they're like, no, you don't want to talk. I was like, I'll talk to him. And so I talked to him for like 30 minutes. And, and he's just, I mean, he's going and he's going and he's, and he's cussing and he's doing this and he's calling me names and all this stuff. And so finally he, I, don't, I think he either ran out of words or ran out of breath, one of the two. And I said, hey, um, you mind if I say something real quick? He goes, what? I go, how can I help you? You want to talk about deflating someone. I was like, what do you need from me? So I just feel like no one's here. I'm like, I'm listening to you, man. I hear, and I repeated, not everything, 
but I summarized what he was saying. I said, is this, what, is this, how, you, is this how you feel? He's like, yeah. It's like, okay, how can we come up with a solution? And we sat there and talked. And he was like, and by the end of it, he was like, you know, you know what? Thanks, man. I appreciate you. You know, can I, what's your extension? And I gave him the girl that sits next to me's extension. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I, I, gave, I gave him my extension. I said, hey, do me a favor. I'll let you call me once a week. Because if, if I gave him carte blanche, he would call me every single day, multiple times a day. I said, you can call me every Monday at 930, and I'll give you 10 minutes. He goes, all right, sounds good. Click. My boss comes up to me and goes, are you all right? Do you need, like, a, a break? I'm like, nah, I'm fine. He goes, she's like, why? I was like, because he, no, not to be insensitive, but because he's kind of crazy. When you know that, it's like, hey, that's you. I'm not going to get mad at that. You can't help it. You're being you. Now, I say that, and I feel my dad looking at me. Because I struggle with this in other areas of my life. I'm not perfect. But here's the thing. Is we have to understand and to keep a right perspective, we get mad that sinners do sinful things. They're, 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 they're sinning. They're not, they're not living for God. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have a righteous indignation or a holy justice or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But to get mad at them as a person, we can hate the sin, but we have to love them and be patient with them and kind with them and, and, and work them through the process all under the, God, all under the umbrella of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of leadership. I'm not, I'm not condoning, once again, I'm not condoning you being just a doormat for people to walk all over. And we have to also understand that the miracle may not come immediately. There may be, even Jesus said, you know, the disciples come out and say, hey, we, we tried to cast out this, this demon and, and, and it didn't work. And Jesus is like, well, that one's because you got to, you know, comes out with prayer and fasting. It may not be instantaneous, but what it will be is it will be an opportunity for you to love someone. It will be an opportunity for you to create community. It will be an opportunity for a facet of God's love to be expressed that can only be expressed in that moment and in that way. God's love can be, can, can be experienced in all sorts of ways. We do not want to limit ourselves to one. What we have to do is, that, is we have to understand that um, our help may not be welcome. Have you ever tried to help someone? <laughs> have you ever tried to help someone that doesn't want to be helped? <laughs> this is why we must prayerfully peacefully, humbly, graciously work with people through their struggle. And we have to do it long enough for God to get a hold of them. And then lastly, we, we have to rejoice in the victory. 
Mark 2, 12 says, uh, in the same section, it says, and then the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. See, past victories get, through, get us through today's struggle. You didn't respond as well as that. I said that. So past victories get us through today's struggle. And when we're in community, you need someone to remind you of the past struggle. Because here's the thing. I've mentioned this before, that the devil likes to give us short-term memory loss. The devil likes to kind of cloud our perspective, and so we get stuck looking only at the situation in front of us. And we, look, we like to think that it's in, you know, this, this one, this one's going to get me. And sometimes we need someone to come alongside us and lift up our chin and point us backwards and go, look at all that stuff that God has done for you. You remember that time where there was literally no money and more bills, but God provided? You remember that time where you thought that your marriage was over, but God came in and radically transformed both of you? Do you remember that time where you were physically at your wit's end, but God came in and restored your, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your body? Do you remember that time? There are things that we, when we're in it, we can't see it. It's, my dad brings up the fact, he's preached before, that why does Tiger Woods, one of the best golfers of all time, need a coach? Because that coach can see something he can't. When we're in it, and we're wondering why our, we're, we keep slicing it left, we need someone to go, hey, you know, it's just because you're holding the club a little bit wrong. When we're in it and we can't go, we, well, all we can see is our problem, we have to have people to give us perspective. And sometimes, guys, it sucks. Because we don't want it. We love wallowing. We love self-pity. We love just, you know, this one's different. Because we get, that's a whole different sermon. <laughs> but here's the, th- here's the reality. Without community, we're more vulnerable. When we're alone, when we're isolated, when we thrive off of this, this pseudo-community that we get online, that's not real at all, that's just an echo chamber of what we already know, believe, think, all of that, that's confirming everything that we know is wrong, then that's the only source, and we don't have anybody that's willing to say, hey, you know what? That's, yeah, no, that's probably not good. Sometimes it, it's not fun. Being corrected sometimes isn't fun. But we need it. We need it. The mandate that, that God puts on us to live in community is something we can't overlook. You're probably still asking maybe why. This is the last thing, and I'm going to close, is, is you might be on the mat one day. You might be Johnny over there, cripple. 
you may need someone to come alongside you, pick you up, and bring you to the feet of Jesus. And I ask you, do you have someone in your life that would rip the roof off a place to get you the answer you need? Do you have someone in your life that you can trust, that you are vulnerable with? And I'm not, like, look at married people. My wife is my best friend. I have no problem saying that. I used to think that's super corny and cheesy and dumb. I don't believe that anymore. But there are certain things, not certain things I can't share with her. I can share with her everything. But there is a perspective about being married that you need someone outside of it to call you on your crap. I have that. I have that probably more than I need. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have that more than my dad, too. I have a couple of friends that help me out. And the reason why I say that is because, look, it, we are not lone wolf creatures. We belong in a pack. We belong together. And I just pray and I hope that you understand that I, what I want you to do is I want you to leave this place and I want you to pray and I want you to begin to ask God, God, what are some of the barriers that are blocking me from community? Is it past hurts? Is it shame? Is it the unknown? Is it maybe the judgment of myself or the judgment I may have towards others? Is it... Is it that I am thrive, you know, I do get all of this sense of fulfillment through this isolation culture that we live in. And God, how can I intentionally and deliberately engage in the community around me? Both in two ways. One is in the, in the church community. How can I get plugged in? Not, and I'm not talking, look, I, I want you to get plugged in. I want you to become a volunteer and do all this but more importantly, I want you to get plugged in with the people that are sitting next to you. I want you to maybe come to church a little bit early and strike up a conversation with someone you've never met before. To go get a donut. To hang out with them. Ask them. My wife is the queen at this. Is the, when we meet someone new, she opens up with this line. I've seen her do it a hundred times. She's, it's really funny. She goes, so tell me everything about your life. <laughs> and she does. And, she, and here's the thing. She genuinely cares. And she genuinely wants to know, how'd you guys meet? Where'd you go grow up? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you do this? And, 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 and by the end, they're like, man, gee, man, she knows everything about me. Let alone if it's someone, if it's someone that she, like one of our friends was dating, the, was dating this guy, and so she cyber stalks. And so goes and finds this person, knows everything about him, and then at the same time has to resist letting them know she knows everything about them. So it's like, oh, hey, how was your vacation to New York five years ago? Because she has a high value for relationship. She has a high value for connecting with people on, on, a, on a real level. She's drug that out of me. And it is important that every single one of us don't just overlook this and understand that every single one of us are called to love people and to be in community. Amen? So why don't you, pr why don't you bow your head? We're going to pray.
Father God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. God, I pray, Lord, that every single person leaves here encouraged with the fact that, you know what, God, you didn't create us to be alone. So I speak to the spirit of loneliness, and I speak to the spirit of depression, and I speak to the spirit of isolation, and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and I replace you with fulfillment, joy, and confidence. God, and the reason why I, I, I say confidence is, God, I want people to be confident to go up to one another, say hi, say hello, say, you know, ask them how their day is, and actually give the real response. Actually give the response of, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing so good. Can you pray with me? This is why I need prayer. This is what's going on. God, and I pray, Lord, that there is grace and mercy so that we can engage in community in a real, authentic, and genuine way. God, I thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, guys, you are free to go. Why don't you get out of here? Farewell someone as you go. Talk to someone as you leave. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.